0: This is the Untold Civil War, and on this episode I'm joined by the Unfiltered Historians. We share some Untold Civil War stories and get the perspective of Darren, a Brit, on visiting some of the battlefields of this bloody conflict. But before we do that, I want you all to remember to go to our YouTube channel and subscribe to see all our video content. Also, like us and follow us on Facebook and Instagram to stay up to date with all the latest Untold Civil War news. I'd also like to take a moment to recognize the recent work of our sponsor, Civil War Trails, who has been posting up interpretive signs in Wheeling, West Virginia. One of these signs marks the Wheeling Customs House, which housed the West Virginia Constitutional Convention, which resulted in the separation of Unionist West Virginia from Confederate Virginia. These are the untold stories Civil War Trails help mark and interpret. So use their link in the show notes to explore the greatest open-air museum in the USA. And now, turn up the volume, settle in with a glass of ice-cold lemonade, and let's delve into some Untold Civil War. Welcome to the Untold Civil War podcast. I am Paul, and I'm here with the unfiltered historians, Darren and Tyler. Thank you for coming on the show. Really appreciate it, guys. Yeah, thank you for having
1: us. Thanks for inviting us. Cheers.
0: I think just to kick it off, could you guys explain how you got into history and what inspired you on this, this journey?
2: Yeah, sure thing. So uh, a while back, I was roughly in fourth grade, and I've lived in Virginia most of my life. And <laughs> living in Virginia a lot of my life, you know, i just surrounded by Civil War battlefields. Uh, I didn't have an extreme interest per se, but I definitely had something. And my father handed me a copy of the Centennial's handbook on the Civil War, which definitely predated me. And I went through and started flipping through some of the pages. And one of the visuals in there, one of the images that they had was of the dead from the Harris Farm engagement uh, from the Battle of Spotsylvania Courthouse, coincidentally, exactly where I was living at the time. And little impressionable Tyler was just completely floored by how this could happen to human beings and how someone could be brought to killing each other especially in my own backyard. So obviously I had some questions to field and I decided to take a little dive into the Civil War which led to so far a lifelong obsession and I haven't been able to stop fielding questions because I'm sure you guys know just as well when you get into the Civil War questions come in abundance and there's so many different answers to some of those questions so I have just sort of plummeted from there and decided that I wanted to take this very seriously and Start a community about this and also have other people engage in this and start talking a little bit about the Civil War and maybe bringing these questions more to light, which has resulted in a, a podcast and an internship at the Park Service to just, you know, collecting a library of vast resources, which is awesome. Uh, but that's really where I get my start from it and hasn't stopped since.
0: Well, what I like about your sharing your start is that you talk about growing up in Virginia with these battlefields right there for you to explore. Mm-hmm. But then we also have Darren here who got the same bug to bite him, but he's across the pond, if you will. So mm-hmm. Darren, how did that happen?
1: So for me, so I, I started doing English Civil War reenacting. And uh, one day uh, a guy turns up at an event after my second year with a box of VHS videos. And in that, in that box, one of them was Gettysburg, the movie. Okay. So anyway, I took, I took it home, I watched it and that was it, you know, I was like, I'm really interested in this period now. I want to learn more about the history behind it because you know you have that beginning bit uh, with the map and everything, and and it sort of drew drew me in. And then you know the uniforms and and everything about the story. You know, I thought I want to know more about this, so I started learning more. And uh, what followed was two trips over to the states. Uh, firstly, obviously the main goal was Gettysburg, you know, because Gettysburg is like the Disneyland for all Civil War buffs. Yeah, so in 2006 I traveled over with my friend we visited Gettysburg Fredericksburg and loads of other civil war sites and then the following year we came back and we did a similar thing again but we visited a few more different sites then what followed is 10 years of doing nothing because I got married you know and had kids and all my civil war stuff is in the loft right so anyway then I went to another reenactment and so it's like a multi-period you've got english civil war you had napoleonic and you had the american civil war which is the southern skirmish in the uk i got into a conversation about the american civil war with one of the guys and uh, eventually i worked my way over the beer tent and i ended up talking to the captain of the fourth u.s infantry company k and he just looked at me after about 10 minutes talking to him and he went darren you're doing the wrong thing um he said come over and see us in the morning and i'll tell you now i was over there so quick and I remember the conversation with my wife on the phone saying, "I can't do two. I can't do two. But deep down, I wanted to. I've always wanted to do American Civil War acting, and that's when I picked up the books again and thought to myself, "You know, if I'm going to do this because this is living history, I need to know what I'm talking about when people ask me questions." And so I started reading again. and I started getting into it, and then, lo and behold, I started listening to podcasts. Um, one 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 of the podcasts was yours, Paul, and it inspired me to want to be able to talk to people about it but i couldn't because you know as you know as a historian sometimes other people are not interested in what you're interested in and then you start talking to them so i thought i need to get this out you know and that's why i started my pages so yeah that's that's me
0: oh that's great and it's great that you mentioned you know the movie gettysburg as i tell people great documentary the whole thing you know um (laughs) ideal right um but uh how so you guys were kind of doing your own thing how did you guys meet and develop you know get into the unfiltered historians. How did that happen.
2: Oh man, so we're gonna go back to Gettysburg again, uh, believe it or not. So. The tattooed historian and myself actually had a date in uh, Gettysburg where we wanted to decide to do some uh, just impromptu filming. Uh, and what came out of that was a talk on the second day. When I was invited onto a live video to speak on the second day, and unfortunately, we know how battlefields are with reception, there isn't such a thing as reception on many battlefields, specifically the second day's battlefield. Uh, maybe some spots here in between, but I wasn't able to make that one. And we decided that we were going to go on the third day. And Darren happened to be a participant in that. And immediately I knew we were going to click because we had almost the same idea of what to talk about. So I was like, okay, this guy's very like minded. I love this. And when we started conversing on this video, him and I immediately hit it off. And what resulted from that was a friend request to Facebook messaging to, hey, how about you come on my show and talk for a little bit on the unfiltered? And that, that it spiraled from there because he brought so much material to the unfiltered and his conversation was very perfect I think to really fit what I was looking for to have conversations with and Darren and I were defending sickles of all people at Gettysburg and I think that was really where it started and a, a great friendship came from that because it didn't just go professional if you know what I mean it wasn't just hey come on my show let's be colleagues and that it was a definite friendship to where I was like hey man don't even get a hotel if you come over here room and board on me I would love to hang out with you and spend time and just chat civil war with you and We've just become friends since that. And I think that's what's really cool about the Unfiltered is it brought a group of friends together and Darren being one of them. So just a video on a random Gettysburg topic on a Civil War page. I think that speaks volumes too on the way technology has influenced Civil War historians today is you can start as this solo idea like the Unfiltered Historian was just me at the time. Uh, My friend John and I started it um, and I had him come on one of the shows on July 4th, the date that I actually put Unfiltered Historian on Facebook and from there like i said it just kind of skyrocketed
0: so just real quick about unfiltered mm-hmm. can we talk about first of all the name for some people who, who might not know the story how did how did that come about and, and sure. then what do you guys cover i know you talk about you talk about gettysburg but mm-hmm. you cover a, a range of topics right
2: oh absolutely so initially i started streaming on twitch uh, as a video game streamer i have worked at the park service as an intern for a few years and i was out one day at the the, almost slaughter pen farm it was actually the saunders field portion of the wilderness battlefield and some guys came walking up wearing what i thought were visitor center keppies i was like "Uh oh here we go we're gonna have a really good conversation because these guys are some of the ones that are mostly engaged and i was really excited because we had barely anybody at the battlefield that day and it turns out that they were the developers for a game called war of rights and it was like mind blown when they told me this. And I was like, Oh man, I really got to give them a good tour. So that game has always stuck in the back of my mind. Cause I'm also a sucker for the Maryland campaign. Like that's one of my favorite parts of the civil war. And this is what that game took place. And so obviously being young, you know, college age playing video games, that was just where I wanted to you know, definitely focus on. So I got a computer, which definitely broke the bank. That was my first paycheck from Capitol Hill actually. And I started, with my old gamer tag from Xbox, not 360. we're talking Xbox, man. Uh, it was called Mr. El Coolio. It was probably the corniest name in the world. And I ran with that title for, on Twitch for a while. I started doing some videos where I was speaking a little bit and talking, but I never really had a formal platform or even a structured podcast. I was just pop live and I'll start talking about stuff. And that seemed to garner a little bit of interest to have unconventional approaches to history. So I, you know, thinking about different name changes on the way up to DC one day, one of the conductors, he was a huge Civil War buff and actually reenactor in 12th Virginia. He was like, you know, you should call yourself the unfiltered historian. I was like, yeah, that, that name's probably already taken. Cause that's a gold mine. Well, I happened to just browse one day and look, and there was nothing unfiltered historian. I'm like, all right, I'm going to snag that. And so I did on July 4th. And I, the reason unfiltered really came to mind is just for that. We don't have a structure. A lot of the times we don't, Have a chill, if you will. We'd like to be able to have a conversation and bring more of a conversational type approach to how we do our videos and allow the community to be a part of this. So, you know, it may be three of us on screen one day, it may be 20 people on screen one day, but the whole idea behind the Unfiltered Historian is to knock down that wall of conventionalism in history and bring out a brand new way to talk about this and let everyone feel like they have a part in this conversation because history doesn't belong to one person. There is no gatekeeper of history. The entire human race owns history. So that's really what kind of started that. I just wanted to make sure everybody had a place to belong and have their voice heard.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. And uh, it's interesting that you bring uh, the sort of the video game experience into (laughs) this, because uh, what do you think? I'd love to get your idea on this. What do you think about Civil War video games kind of getting a whole generation into the Civil War? Because I remember I got into military history playing the original Medal of Honors, right? The oh, yeah. World War II Medal of Honor, Rising Sun, mm-hmm. Allied Assault, right? Yeah. Do, do you think do you think this is a, a way to bring more people into the space?
2: Oh, exponentially so. Well, because a lot of people that are playing this game, let's be real, who wants to play a game where it's a 19 second reload by default? I mean, it, it turns a lot of people away. So a lot of the community you have on this, Sure, there's a lot of trolls. And we've seen that in War of Rights. I mean, there are times where I can't even play a game with game chat on because it's just so bad. But there's also, I think, a larger portion of people who have this interest that begin to come together. So I think it's a community builder, number one. And it's a great way to find like minded people and folks to where, you know, Darren was saying earlier, I've had experiences where I try to talk history and people like Tyler, shut up. We don't care. These people care. These are groups of people that care. So not only is it fun because, again, being Civil War historians and getting to have an FPS experience at Antietam or Gettysburg, wherever the game might take you, that's awesome. But it's also cool to have friends to play it with. And, again, being told to shut up all the time about history, you don't really Mm -hmm. find that everywhere. So I think this is a huge way to engage in folks that may have not had the opportunity to speak or talk about history. So there might be some untapped talent out there as well. Uh, Civil War video games are absolutely the coolest thing in the world in my opinion
0: absolutely yeah uh darren i mean you did some of the civil war reenacting yeah what do you think about reenacting and the video game part do you think people will now play video games and maybe they're not going to go to the reenactments or are you still an advocate for going to the actual reenactment seeing the uniforms touching and feeling the, that sort of
1: thing Um, I, I would i would definitely say that the reenactment is better personally but then i'm a little bit older so you know i mean i haven't got time to play video games anymore I wish i did you know i mean i'm like you said um you mentioned rising sun i love that game i remember that game first came out but yeah i mean i i think there's nothing better than actually portraying that real civil war soldier within the living history type scenario you know um obviously we don't we couldn't probably sleep outside you know we're probably uh you know, start crying if they ask us to sleep outside. But, you know, um, I think the reenacting side of it is good. But, um, I mean, the gaming side, I think having anybody come into this this field is a bonus, you know, because I think it has been lacking for a little while of, of that younger generation, in my opinion. I think also, again, this, this sort of platform of the uh, Zoom and, and people being able to, to, to make a YouTube channel for themselves and to be able to talk about stuff that you can't talk about to everybody else, is a great platform for everybody to get involved in. And again, like Tyler said, that's what we want. We want everyone involved, you know, that's the point.
0: I think this is a great introduction to you guys and what you do, but on this show, we love to talk about those untold Civil War stories. That's what we do. Mm -hmm. So I don't know who would like to go first, but I'm hoping maybe you guys have some untold Civil War stories to share with our listeners. Yeah, cool. Tyler can go first.
2: I've talked about this one quite a bit to uh, just, some friends of mine, I've never really gone and done an episode about it, so this would be a really cool experience to kind of dive into this. But I have a great great grandfather who served with a very famous battery from Virginia known as Parker's Virginia Battery. He doesn't start in Parker's Virginia Battery now, and again, some of you may have heard of Parker's Battery if you've ever been to Antietam and you've seen the Dunker Church. There's a very famous picture of uh, some of the dead that sit right around a caisson and a few dead horses. Again, very famous picture, and it's in a lot of school book pictures and uh plaques around the battlefield. but That picture means a lot to me because those are members that served with my ancestor there. But before we get into why that picture is so important, Edward Samuel Duffy is the name of my great-great-grandfather who was 19 years old at the time of enlistment in 1861. He is from Alexandria, Virginia growing up there and has Two brothers that serve in the Civil War as well. One will serve in the 19th Virginia Infantry, had a very bad day at Gettysburg on July 3 because they go running straight up. Excuse me, I meant 17th Virginia, but they go straight up towards that uh, angle there under General George Pickett. Then he has an older brother, George Hurd Duffy, who is the Ordnance Sergeant under Edward Porter Alexander at Second Manassas. So uh, Porter Alexander writes about him quite a bit in his memoirs, which is really interesting to see. But Duffy doesn't get noted because he's in a whole different field. When he starts out in the Civil War, when the state of Virginia calls for volunteers to join the Confederate army, he is ready to join fresh and young and joins with Delaware Kemper's Alexandria battery. It's a couple of guns that take themselves down to the first battle of Bull Run. And we get his first moment of fame, if you will, from two sources. A very famous source, Elisha Hunt Rhodes, actually writes about a skilled Confederate shot that blocks Cub Run and therefore really hastens the retreat that the Union Army makes to Washington. But he also gets an honorable mention in the official records of the War of Rebellion for his skilled shot. And a lot of people try to, and again, this is uh, Shelby Foote-esque when it comes to this, that it's attributed to Edmund Ruffian, who the, the gentleman that fired the shot at Fort Sumter, and they say Ruffian did it at Second or First Manassas too. But it's Duffy who cited twice in um, the official record. So we know that there's a little bit of uh, disparity there with that. However, he doesn't serve with Kemper's battery long. He leaves Del Kemper's Battery and joins with Parker's Virginia Battery out of Richmond. Parker's Battery is owned by William Watts Parker, who raises it. He is a physician in the town of Richmond. Most of the members of his battery are young. They're called the Boy Battery for a reason, meaning the median age is 17 to 25. These are kids that are in the battery. Most of these are patients of Dr. William Watts Parker. For some reason, Duffy doesn't really write in his diary why he joins Parker's, but that's where he ends up in 62, right before the Battle of Second Manassas, so spends a few days training with their battery uh, in and around richmond before they make their way up north now when they go north and they head to second manassas they're positioned with sd lee Stephen d lee's battery which is very again famous for a lot of their actions at second manassas and they get the interesting comment from sd lee he says you boys have been where men dare to go and that really describes the battery because they're always seeming to find themselves in the most Heated parts of the battle. a uh, second Manassas are firing into the railroad cut that Jackson's obviously uh fighting there. And he's showing skilled shots there. On comes Antietam. And on September 17th, 1862, S. D. Lee will place Parker's battery on the plateau just in front of the Dunker Church. So they are obviously in an area that's dubbed artillery hell, uh, for a very good reason, too. The Union Army, or you can almost call them river batteries, because the guns that are being fired into Duffy's position there are very large Union guns and just also some of the musket fire that are coming out of Joe Hooker's men as they're starting to push inward towards the Dunker Church area. Well, his first battle wound will result from being in that plateau. Um, He's shot in the leg by a mini ball, uh, and it does embed itself in his thigh, and he is able to vacate himself from the battlefield to Shepherdstown uh, at the time, Virginia, later at West Virginia, where he's going to go to the Shepherdstown Methodist Church and is offered whiskey before they pull the ball from his leg. Now, he says that he is a good Christian Irishman, and he refuses the whiskey and asks for water. So imagine having a ball pulled from your leg with a shot of H2O and no anesthetic at all. It's got to be quite painful. He convalesces in Richmond, uh, and according to his diary and even uh, Royal Fig, who writes a very good account of Parker's Battery later in the war, is tortured with prices of haircuts, showing rampant Confederate inflation at the time as well. And that's all that really comes out of his convalescing there. But he makes it back in time to the Army of Northern Virginia to participate in the Battle of Fredericksburg. He's not serving with his battery, as he's still sort of on the mend from his wound. And in his diary, he writes that he is serving as an orderly, or at this time, he's actually running orders from Lee's position on Telegraph Hill to Stonewall Jackson's position over by Prospect Hill and the night before the Battle of Fredericksburg he actually delivers an order to Stonewall Jackson according to his diary after finding him after much considerable trouble around Hamilton's crossing and the the Receipt of this order I'm not sure what the order says it doesn't you know show or materialize in his diary but it, it's really interesting to know that you know this guy's running an order from Lee to Jackson himself right before the Battle of Fredericksburg and we'll have the honor to watch the Battle of Fredericksburg take place from the top of Lee's Hill or Telegraph Hill and notes uh, some very eerie stuff. One of the quotes he says, and I have that here if we don't mind, uh, what he sees at Fredericksburg is kind of eerie. He notes that the field is littered with Union dead and most of them have been stuffed, meaning most of the men have lost their belongings due to the Confederate pillaging what was on the bodies of the Union there. And he notes in particular a Union soldier outstretched with a glove on his hand pointing, and he notes that he was probably an officer. If that doesn't just kind of Give you a little bit of a chill there. I mean, I I for sure just always shudder at that. Well, after the Battle of Fredericksburg, he will be camped in the winter around the Carmel Church area where the rest of Parker's Battery is going to be. And then at the outset of the Battle of Chancellorsville, two guns of Parker's Battery is detached to Murray's Heights, or in particular, Willis Hill, which is the modern day location of the Fredericksburg National Cemetery. Now, when he goes to the uh, Fredericksburg Cemetery, which would be the Fredericksburg Cemetery, when he's on Willis Hill, his job is to defend against Union attackers. As we know, the Battle of Second Fredericksburg does erupt on May 3rd. And on May 3rd, he's actually going to be captured by Union forces that are able to make it on top of Marye's Heights. And when he's captured, he's sent to Point Lookout, where he writes in his diary that he sees who he thinks is Lincoln by the semblance of the man on the back of the Greenbacks while he's in the wharf there, and ultimately sends a point lookout to where he is then returned into Confederate service, traded for two privates in the Union Army. And the really interesting, cool part of his story starts here. So his position at the time is right around the area of the Peach Orchard at Gettysburg on July 2nd and 3rd. And he's actually going to move with Parker's Battery in a forward position into the Peach Orchard and cause quite a bit of issues for Sickles' men there on the uh, the second day. And on the third day, right after Pickett's charge, he's moved back to a position right around where the Longstreet Tower is today out in that field. And when Lee and Longstreet are uh, conversing about what to do next and obviously planning to retreat back into Virginia, a small regiment or maybe even a contingent of Union troops start making their way towards the position that Lee and Longstreet are at. And Longstreet will personally walk over to his gun Duffy is a sergeant at the time and ask if he had any ammunition left. And to directly quote Duffy, he does say, I have a little canister and Longstreet will then return with, well, I need you to fire and, or elevate your gun and fire at those union troops in front of you, to which Duffy does. And in a Middleburg newspaper article where Duffy is the interviewee, He says that that shot of mine was the last fired at Gettysburg and a successful one because the Union Regiment did check their march and return to their starting position. Long story short from that, Duffy is going to find himself in 1864 some pretty precarious spots Uh, Spotsylvania courthouse he's smack in the middle of Brock Road this time Huger is going to be the overall commander of Parker's Battery so he's firing during the Battle of Laurel Hill on May 8th and 9th and into the end of Spotsylvania moving down south with Lee's army as they kind of move and like I call the DNA strand of marching you know we're going to move by the flank and continue to hit so that that movement always looks like a DNA strand to me when they get down towards the Cold Harbor area there's a park unit at richmond national battlefield called parker's battery as they dig in and hold one of the farthest northern sectors of petersburg guarding the richmond approach so if you're coming down from richmond and heading into petersburg they were that last or in some cases depending on how you look at it the first line of defense that would have been there he has issues with uh, william watts parker to the point where they get into some fights and parker refers to him as his personal thorn in his side and duffy will subsequently receive a transfer out just before the end of the war to Woolfolk's Battery, to which he will live the rest of his life in Middleburg, Virginia, returning to the profession he had before the war, which was watchmaking. Sadly, he passes away from a cigar burning on his blanket uh, in 1930s, just the day before Christmas Eve. Uh, But he lived an interesting life, didn't make a stink of the war afterwards. He just went home and returned to a quiet life where he was sitting in a watchmaking shop repairing jewelry and making watches. Uh, Today, His watchmaking shop, unfortunately, is the shopper's parking lot in Middleburg, which is really sad, but I have been able to sit in the parking lot for a minute and just kind of bring myself to think this is where my great-great-grandfather had his shop. Um, His house was Mount Olivet, which is a very interesting house in Middleburg, still in existence to this day. And it was funny, I found an article from one of the real estate agents that are selling the house that referenced my old website and the information I put up. And that's how I sort of found out he lived there. I had no clue Duffy he was one of the owners until they found the census records to explain that he had this rich house at the time. But again, his story isn't a widely known story. It is available to read. If you ever find yourself in Richmond and go to the Virginia Historical Society, his diary is in the records there and you can read a little bit about him from parker's virginia battery written by uh, robert crick and royal fig's account of parker's battery mentions duffy quite a few times so i encourage you if you ever get an interest to learn sort of what it was like to be a confederate artillerist especially at a young age of 19 through 21 22 as he's growing up through the war he's a great account i think and that's of course, a biased saying, but a definitely interesting story and just one of those ones that really doesn't get the attention.
0: That's fantastic. And I think when it comes to stories about the Civil War or just history in general, I think what grabs people are these human interest stories, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we can sit there and look at the, the maps and uh, the battlefields and so on and so forth, which do have great impact. But when you hear the human interest story, the human experience and, and stories like this, it's really what captures people. Absolutely. Now, I'm not telling you to pick up a smoking habit. However, if you do smoke and or just want a really cool prop for your Civil War impression, our sponsor, The Badge Maker, has now released some really neat hand-carved pipes based on known Civil War example. This is a really unique gift for any Civil War buff. Link in the show notes. All right, and on that note, let's take it over to Darren's side here. Before we get into your story, I really want to know about your trip to Fredericksburg recently and get the debrief, because that was quite the experience from what I've seen online.
1: Yeah, I mean, wow. Actual fact, I mean, uh, for people that have been following me will probably know that um, I've been trying to get over a couple of times. Um, Obviously, the C word uh, put a stop to that. So firstly, I was going to attend the um, Emerging Civil War Symposium in August. And again, along the way, me and Tyler kept planning this, that and the other, you know, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And then, of course, that gets cancelled because uh, there's there was no entry into the US at the time from Britain. So um, and then it ends up, um, I think, right, okay, I'll go to the conference for um, Central Virginia Battlefields Trust which was a 25th anniversary one. thought, yeah, we'll do that. And again, we started planning and that didn't happen. So when eventually the announcement was made on the 8th of November, it was like Christmas Day for me, because finally I get to go. But because I wasn't attending, and, and again, I really wanted to attend a, a conference or something along them lines, but it gave me more time on my hands. So planning went into overdrive and we discussed it and we said, do you know what? Nobody's doing it. So let's do Fredericksburg Live 159. And so that's what we did, you know, and we and we set up a plan and we started on Chatham Mansion looking across the river, although actually we didn't because Tyler took me out to a surprise little location on the way out. Yeah, I mean, Slaughter Pen Farm. So Tyler takes me out to Slaughter Pen Farm on the morning. This is this is the 13th of December and 159 years ago, we're standing on that same ground. The frost is laying across the ground, you know, that it was just amazing. I can't describe it. If one person said on the live video, Darren, you're going to have an heart attack in a minute. And I think Tyler even said it as well. Yeah. But again, looking over that ground, you could get, a you could get a, um, the aspect of what the plane looks like before they built all the development on it, which was quite cool. But also the night before on the way home from the pub, um, Tyler took me on a little driving tour around actually. And we actually stopped at the wall um, at the Sunken Road, that was quite a cool experience. Just going up there, and we 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 stood by the Ennis House, and uh, we just experienced the, you know, what it was like on a cold night in Fredericksburg, you know, in December of, you know, what it would have been like 159 years before and that was quite a cool experience as well but the whole trip was just amazing though know? i mean people were just bending over backwards to help me out and take me on tours i mean i had beers and cigars on on chris mcowski's porch you know i mean that was amazing you know i mean who gets to do that we actually lost two hours on the day of the fredericksburg live because we spent two hours in the central virginia Battlefield trust office with terry rentsell and uh, i just want to give a little shout out to those guys because they work so hard in quite you know in getting that land and and obviously they work with other parts but again it's such a great cause you know so um big shout out to them guys but the whole trip and then of course we went to antietam as well we we went up there and that was my first time at antietam wow standing there on on so there's I, i was actually um in full flow conversation with someone at one point and uh Tyler or Tim they nudged me and went you do know what's over over your shoulder there don't you and I turned around there's there was the Dunker church you know right in the corner I didn't realize and what one thing that grabbed me about um Antietam is it seems like it's a big battlefield but when you're actually standing up on the ground it's not actually doesn't look that big it's really strange it's like, so we're standing where the, where the batteries are. And if anyone's been to Antietam, there's, you come out the visitor centre and there's, there's some batteries standing there. Um, again, this is where Tyler's um, ancestor would have been, Parker's battery. And from that spot, you can literally see every main point of that battlefield. And it's an experience, you know, and if you haven't gone and experienced that, please go and do it because it's amazing. Of course, as well, got to go to the bloody lane, you know. Also, we went to um, another little spot we went to, which was really cool. And this is untold and unfiltered, um, is, is there's a ledge. Um, and We did do a little video on that and I never knew anything about it. And, and this ledge... It's not far from the cornfield, but it's, it's something that if I hadn't have had people like Tyler and Tim with me, I would never have experienced or never have seen, you know. And then also I've had the pleasure of spending eight hours with uh, Chris Murkowski uh, on Spotsylvania Battlefield, which, you know, again, who, you know, that was just amazing to be be taken around a, a place uh, where a guy has written God knows how many books on the subject and so he knows the ground like the back of his hand, you know, and uh, that was really cool, you know. But again, just people being so helpful and so amazingly great to, to to bend over backwards, to help me, to show me around. And, you know, it was just an amazing experience.
0: Uh, one thing I will say is that the community is great. I mean, everyone in this sort of Civil War niche community really is out there to help each other out, spread good history, you know, spread spread the story and get those untold stories, too out oh, there so it's really fantastic you know darren you, you talked about coming to these battlefields and seeing them i know maybe it's it's not the right way to say like coming to you know D- disneyland you know maybe yeah, because this, yeah. it's more hollowed than that but yeah the idea yeah. of like you've seen uh these in the movies you've seen these battlefields in the movies you know on documentaries now you're coming from britain to the u.s and finally seeing them for real
1: yeah i would like to say also i mean down downtown fredericksburg has a real atmosphere about it i mean so um i mean the weather was quite reasonably warm for for that time of year so um we all had a meet up at a rebellion whiskey uh bar in fredericksburg on the saturday evening and we actually sat outside but i, uh, I lost myself a couple of times sitting there just imagining the you know the night that the Union soldiers were in Fredericksburg, just causing absolute chaos, and I could just—I don't know—I could vision it, and I could hear the noise, and I could hear—you know—you see the scenes in *Gods and Generals*, don't you, where they're playing a the piano, and the—I the, the, can't remember what he is. One of the officers comes along and starts telling people to put stuff down, and but yeah, I could vision it. But um, also, there's some other couple of highlights as well. One is, um, Tyler pointed out to me um, on the drive the first evening of the um, swale. There's a swale on the plane. And the only, wa- the only place you can see this swale now, because it's been built on, is in, in a couple of the alleyways. And there is a picture of Tyler laying down in this swale filming. And I took, a, I took quite a few candid type pictures of him filming uh, but he's laying down in the swale. And if you've seen, you know, go and have a look and, and see this photo. But these are the only bits of the actual original battlefield left on that part. So um, being able to experience that was quite cool. And also that experience in the swale, you could get the um, I mean, Tyler laid down. I didn't. So you can tell you that experience in a minute. But what we what we got from it was that brief respite that they would have had from tacking that wall. And literally, all you had to do is get up on your sort of like your knees and you could see the top of the wall, obviously through houses and through someone's yard. But, you know, I mean, you've got to imagine that wasn't there. And another one as well. We got a, we got a, um, a guided tour of, of, of the Ennis house with nobody else in it. I mean, this house is amazing. It's got the bullet holes in from probably the second Fredericksburg as well, you know, because people also forget there was a second Fredericksburg. It's not just one, there's two. And uh, going back to Salem Church, um, again, that was just up the road from where Tyler lives. It's quite sad. um, And and there's a story behind Salem Church. Um, They lose a lot of grounds. And when you're standing up, there's a massive, you know, road going past it. I think it's Route 3, is it? Route 3? Yeah. Oh, my God. it is crazy. I mean, it's constant, you know. But actually, what was really weird. So they've saved this tiny little parcel of land with the Salem church on. But sitting up there, it was quite peaceful. It's was like really strange, you know. The other place was that really threw me back was when Tyler took me out to um Spotsylvania. We went to the Bloody Angle. And I've read accounts of of men getting squashed into the mud and drowning and all sorts of horrible stuff. But he 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 really went into the story of the fighting you know and and when you're standing there and you're actually standing on that exact ground that is quite bone chilling in a way well i had a little bit of a moment there i think where i sort of like got a little bit of emotion emotion build up inside when i was there
0: i can imagine i can imagine i mean it's amazing what these guys were able to push through through this conflict Uh, you know unimaginable really it's (laughs) especially like i said the last major campaigns ever fought on US soil was here. And it's so hard. It's very difficult for us to imagine that as Americans, I think, because constantly we're just by the way, geographically it is, mm-hmm. you know, we're so used to sending soldiers overseas, whether it was World War I or World War II, you know, Vietnam, we have that experience. But the idea of soldiers moving through American neighborhoods, American farms, mm-hmm. I mean, using bayonets to, you know, check that yeah. haystack right over there, it's really immense. And it's it's something wow. that we sometimes forget about it we think it's so distant really wasn't that long ago
1: one one thing that struck me about virginia when i flew in actually was obviously i've not noticed it before because normally when i fly in it's everything's green but where everything the trees had fallen and, and the leaves were all brown and stuff i couldn't get over how many how wooded virginia is i know obviously it's been 150 odd years but i just thinking to myself, moving troops through these areas like the wilderness and that. And, and Tyler showed me some, some of those, you know, some spots that because we went on the a Jackson flank march as well. We drove around that and showing this thick woodland. I just don't, it, it, I can't fathom how they managed to march an army through those through that overgrowth. You know, I just don't get it.
0: Go, going to those battlefields, I think, help you great get a better appreciation for you know the soldier experience and one thing i'd say is you know we as historians we love to be armchair historians right we love discussing yeah, yeah. the what ifs right and sometimes we're all guilty of it of sitting there and saying if only this general if only he had you know marched right over here it's, it's right here on the map it's very clear if only he had just marched on the flank right at here at this time we, he would have won the battle you know all he had to do was march through the hail sleet and, and over those three hills and and through all of that brush and he would have made it once you see that terrain you are able to appreciate and realize oh wait a minute you, you can't do that it doesn't right. work like that you know the ground no, does man. not match up the right. map that we see so you have to go to the mm. battlefield to actually realize wow like this yeah, is yeah. why this happened this is how well, this went down because of the terrain
1: prime example is 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 slaughter Pen farm i mean if you go and stand on that ground you'll have a completely different perspective of the battle because you'll be standing there and one and again, you know, I'm I'm so lucky and I was so blessed to have someone like Tyler with me that knows the battle f- inside out. Because, but to me, now the Battle of Fredericksburg, I can just picture the whole thing by because you cannot get that picture until you stand on that ground. But slaughter pen farm, it's it's the strangest ground I've ever stood on. I mean, it, it looks like it's dropping off and going down to a slope, but it's not, it's flat. And then you also have acoustic shadows out there which you can experience out on that battlefield you can literally be 100 a yard you know a few hundred yards from that road and you cannot hear it and i mean that traffic is constant yeah. you can't hear a thing you can hear a pin drop
0: amazing my my next question uh has to do with you, you saw all of that were there any untold stories that you came across in your experience or any untold story that you'd like to share about uh the civil yeah, war yeah
1: actually i'm going to i'm going to come back to great britain actually or britain you know i'm going to talk about a little bit about britain in the civil war britain was heavily involved in it you know massively as you know you've got things like the trent affair at the beginning um, which i think you might have covered on a podcast at some point you know you've got um young men uh, which have emigrated just like the irish do they emigrate to america they end up getting involved in the war Um, I was lucky enough at the end of July uh, July to attend a a dedication to a Civil War soldier called George W. Denham. Um, That was amazing. I got to wear full dress uniform. Finding a cemetery was a nightmare because it's in London. But um, and then getting back out again was also a nightmare. But anyway, we found our way around. Um, But yeah, being part of that and and hearing his story, his story is amazing. He he travels to America in um, 1850s, joins the U.S. Navy because he's got no money. He's got nowhere to live. So he joins the US Navy. He then disappears off the map until... 1863 and then enlists in the union army as a substitute and then goes and fights for uh, joseph hooker in the 111th pennsylvania you know so we've got that involvement there also you've got the um the shipbuilding that is going on um, and there's actually an incident later on in 1864 where britain and america nearly come to or well, the you know the federal army nearly come to blows over the fact that we're building ships for the confederacy and those two ships then end up in royal navy service but i'm going to cover a little bit about king cotton diplomacy that's where i'm going with this the direct result is a thing called the lancashire cotton famine so until the american civil war cotton was obviously the south's primary product as we know the south's economy heavily relied on the continual growth and production of cotton but in the late in by the late 1850s southern cotton accounted for 77 percent of the 800 million pounds of cotton consumed in britain so this was driving the industrial you know the industrial Revolution. You know, I mean, literally, the factories particularly in the northern in northern england were running 24 hours a day 7 days a week i don't think they even got days off 12 hour shifts and we're not talking about just men and women we're talking children as well you know that the looms were running constantly um, in 1858 senator james hammond of south carolina bluntly declared that without cotton old england would topple headlong and carry the whole civilized world with her if you dare not make war on cotton no power on earth dares make war upon it cotton is king
0: can you imagine the thrill of reading the letter a young west point cadet by the name of edward porter alexander wrote home the same alexander who would go on to direct the confederate artillery barrage in support of pickett's charge what about the excitement of holding the ambrotype of a zouave probably taken to give to his sweetheart just before marching off to the seat of war Many of these items are available from our sponsor, the Excelsior Brigade. Link in the show notes.
1: So that's their thinking, you know. They actually, the, So when, when they get into the war, you can actually see where the, the South is going with this. We know they try and draw France and Britain into the war by holding back those, co- those bales of cotton. But Britain's sitting on a, on a real good bumper harvest from 1859, so they're, they're really good at the moment. But then, of course, in 1861, President Lincoln orders a blockade of the Confederate ports. Nothing's getting out. You know, they can't get this cotton out. But the South's not sending it anyway, because they're trying to draw Britain into a war. And again, it is highly effective because decreasing cotton exports to Europe from 18, sorry, from 3.8 million bales in 1860 to virtually nothing in 1862. Imagine that. That's huge, isn't it? But again, our issue wasn't the supply. We had plenty of it and we sourced it from other places. But the problem was, is we had too much of it. So the north, northwest of England does see a depression in textile industry called the cotton famine, which was not directly caused by the American Civil War, but it plays its part, obviously. So what happens? Well, it's brought about by the overproduction of cotton products. The warehouses are full of this cotton and it's and it goes off, you know, it goes rotten. They can't use it after a while as well. So this causes the prices to collapse and then it causes a thing called the Lancashire cotton fat famine. And of course, the price of, of raw cotton increases by 100%, obviously due to the blockade. So at the beginning of 1860, there were 2,650 cotton mills in the Lancashire region, employing 440,000 people. Can you imagine? That is a lot of people. Now, the thing is, when, when you work for a mill in England at the time, you got a house with it. And your whole family would live in this, in this house. So you lose your job, you lose your house too. And we see this. This happens to these poor people. You know, they literally get chucked on the street they don't care you know the the person that owns the mill doesn't care you know he's just making money he's not interested or he's not making money but what they do is they do actually some of these mills actually save themselves by going into wool production instead of course what's the most used thing you know they need jackets for the for the soldiers you know so they start producing wool instead and uh, again like i said they become homeless they but it, there is there is light at the end of the tunnel because in 1864 they do get a, another large, cons, uh, you know, load of cotton come to the, the United Kingdom, and and it does start up again. But it's it's a direct result of the Civil War and the blockade, and 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 again, the South really thought the Royal Navy would help unblock the blockade, you know. But they 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 couldn't. Also, Britain relied heavily on export of corn from the North as well. If you're gonna go up against the federal government then you're also going to lose food as well you know what do you do you know again as we know it was discussed in parliament but again they did decide in the end it was it wasn't britain's interest to be involved and also i from what i understand is uh, britain did actually have troops in canada because they was also worried that the federal government might try and invade a little bit of canada but that's another story and you know and that's really my untold story really
0: That's fantastic. It's fantastic. So, you know, you brought this topic to light and, you know, I'm going to have to pull the trigger on this one. I know most historians do not, would advocate you never talk about what ifs. But then again, Chris Murkowski and many legends are coming out with a book on Civil War What If. So mm-hmm. I guess that's been thrown out the window there. <laughs> but do you think, what if Britain came on the Confederate side or recognized the Confederacy? Mm. What do you think that would have looked like?
1: Uh, I just don't think it would have happened, personally. Yeah. I, I just don't. I don't I can't, I, again, you know, if you think about it, you talk about the, slave, the uh, slavery was uh, obviously um, discontinued in Britain long before civil war so i don't think that britain would have ever supported slavery um i think maybe they might have tried negotiate with them to drop slavery and we will support you in that way but i don't know you know i just don't i just don't think they i think out of all the countries i think i think the confederates had more of a chance of getting france to side with them than they did britain But again, all these countries have have abolished slavery by then. I don't know. I think Britain, you know, you've got, we are, you know, at the time, Britain and France are the superpowers, you know, and they, and and no matter what you say, um, countries like to grab land, you know? So I think if there was an opportunity there to grab a bit of land, I think they would have been there, you know?
0: Yeah. You know, what you said was uh, really poignant, I think, about France, because as we know, France was messing around in Mexico at the time, too. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, that's something that you can look at. And I know, or I've heard, or I've read of counts, you know, it can be debated, but at the Battle of Palmito Ranch, which was like the last land battle of the Civil War, allegedly, according to, according to Rip Ford's account of the battle, there was a French artillery team and piece that was rolled across the border to assist him. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the Union commander, I believe he actually stated that the reason he had to retreat and fall back is he saw Imperial Mexican cavalry on the border about to, you know, charge his flank or something. I don't know if that's true. He may have wrote that because he was the only Union commander losing battles at that time. Uh, and so he need an excuse. I don't know. But it is something it's kind of funny to play but, around. But
1: with. also I'd like to point out, this is what people have got to realize as well. This shows you how good Lincoln was at what he did, you know, diplomacy, because he single-handedly stopped the Trent affair, that that was the first point where Britain and America could have come to blows over that. And then obviously you've got that other one with the shipbuilding. And again, these two ships are being built in Liverpool, or not Liverpool, somewhere else, I can't remember where, but they were going to going to send them to the Confederacy late in the war. And, and, and America said, you send those ships, that is an act of war, and we will fight you, you know, and that's it, you know. And so it could have gone down that road, you know. And of course... 1812 wasn't that far long ago was it you know Britain was still probably a little bit upset about the other that war that I don't like to talk about you know that which actually Tyler and uh, Tim have actually got me into now um, yeah anyway we won't talk about the Boston harbour um, but um yeah um, I don't I don't think Britain would have done but what's great about it is now we're great allies and Britain's always got America's back
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, guys, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. One last thing. How can people learn more about you guys and how can they find the Unfiltered Historians?
1: Yeah. So um, as far as um, both the pages are concerned, you'll find everything on Linktree, um, as far as American Civil War and UK history is concerned. Um, unfiltered Historians Facebook page is on there as a link as well. But from there, you'll be able to find Tyler's YouTube channel and Instagram page and there's others you know he's on twitch as well um a lot of his live streams go out on twitch so if you guys are on twitch and also we both branched out recently and we're up with the kids now because we're on tiktok
2: that's right
1: yeah you know so we'll give it we're 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 getting into that, that field as well, you God know, bless. A, you're better men than me. I don't have
0: the rhythm. So it's a yeah. <laughs> but
1: Paul, anyway, while we've got you here, if you ever want to come on the unfilled conversations, please do. The information is there. And what I like about being part of Tyler's page is I sort of put myself in a little box really, didn't I? With, I can only do American civil war and UK history. Right. And there's a lot of really cool stuff that happens outside of that, but being part of Tyler's page, and Tyler's group has allowed me to be able to concentrate on other stuff sometimes, not just Britain and America, you know. So that's pretty uh, absolutely.
0: Cool. Now, now that you mentioned that, I'll, I'll have to do a shameless plug as well. Uh, it's the same reason why I've just recently launched the, the Tactical Historian. So oh, that cool. was an excuse to uh, start branching out into other parts of history. So mm-hmm. whether you guys want to come back on Untold or come on the Tactical Historian, you know, we, we've got to set it up, man. All right, man. Till next time. Yes, sir, Thank you for listening while you took a lunch break at work, laying on the beach, marching with AP Hill, riding with Custer, or whenever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget that if you find these types of human interest stories of the war fascinating, check out the link to our sponsor, Military Images Magazine. It is the only magazine dedicated to Civil War portrait photography, and they share so many amazing stories in their pages. I might be a little biased because one of their more recent articles is an interview with yours truly. I will place a link to that interview in the show notes so that you can read the story behind the podcast. Also, don't miss out on your chance to win our next raffle. Become a Patreon supporter, and you'll be in the running for a signed copy of A Rebellious Woman, and a Confederate war bond note. Link will also be in the show notes. So bye for now, and I hope you tune in next time for our next episode.